Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning. morning. I want to welcome all of you, and really thankful that y'all would join us. I I also know uh, it was a little bit more effort to get here with the cold this morning, and so I, I especially appreciate that. We have uh, three sermon. I have three sermons left, and um, this one, I, one of the things that Catherine, uh, probably one of her least favorite things about me, uh, is the fact that since we've been married, and even before that, I've always been someone that's kind of a word critic. Do you know what I mean by that? Catherine said I couldn't say word Nazi, so uh, I'm kind of a word, I'm kind of a word critic, where uh, I'm someone that. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not the type of person who corrects you if you say the wrong whomever or whoever. I'm not that level. But there are times where, you know, if Catherine says something and then she's confused why I didn't do it, I'm like, well, you didn't specifically say it like that. You know, and you knew the idea. You knew the point. Um, but don't worry, y'all. I am definitely paying for it now because my daughter, Landry Joe, corrects me all the time. On, well, Daddy, you know, I'll say something like, uh, well, you know, there's just a few of them. And she's like, Daddy, there's two, so it's a couple of them. And she'll, she'll do that stuff all the time. I'm like, well, I deserved it. I'm that kind of person. I've done that. But one of the words that Catherine and I both try to be firm on, where we try to correct our kids, is the word church. Because our kids will often say things like, hey, when are we going to church again? And when I grew up, I don't know if you grew up where your parents did this like me, when I grew up, you did not say you were going to church. You would say you were going to where? Worship. Worship or the building. That was the rule. We are going to worship or we're going to the building because we're not going to church. Why? Because the church is the people, right? Okay, so in our series that we've been doing, uh, the series I've entitled The Point, Don't Miss It, um, the thing that we need to not miss the point about that I'm looking forward to talking to you about today is that we miss the point whenever every week we decide to call this, you know, when we say church and we're referring to this building or when we say church and we're referring to this hour and 15 minutes that we spend once a week on Sunday. And I think what I'd like to do today is I'd like to show you uh, why that is missing the point when we say, well, this is the church and, and this hour is church. That, how that's missing the point and how we can hopefully get back to the point. Because, in my opinion, uh, it, it sadly caused a lot of problems over the years, the fact that we refer to this building and we refer to this hour as church. So here is the point that I believe that we have missed. The church is a body, locally and spanning time and space, with a mission to be Jesus. I specifically put that part where it says spanning time and space because, yes, the, the Christ church is something that is across the world. It's not just here in Clifton, Texas. It is across the world. But it's not just across the world. It's also across time. Every time we partake of this communion, we are partaking with every Christian that has ever broken the bread and ever will break the bread at the same time. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, but it's true. It's not like, well, in 2024, we're the church, and 10 years ago, they weren't the church, and 100 years ago, they weren't the church. No, we are that church here locally and all over the world and across all of time with the mission to be Jesus. And so I want to use this illustration. It's one of my favorite illustrations when thinking about how we miss the point about church. I want you to look at this lion in this picture for me, right? 
Doesn't it look like amazing and epic? Now, I didn't want to put another picture up here because uh, Catherine and I, we do like, and many of you do too, we do like going to the zoo. We like taking our kids to the zoo to see the animals. It's fun and all. But I know, if you're like me, you have spent a time where you walked up to the lion cage and you looked at how sad that lion looks. And I know, I know that there's some zoos that do it well and some zoos that don't. Like Some zoos are famous for the lion cage is like half an acre big, you know, so it has more space. But even that lion, you look at it and you think to yourself, this thing, is it a lion still? Yeah, it's a lion. But is it something that has been muzzled and, and dare I say the word emasculated? Just like it's taken what it, its dignity because it's no longer where it was meant to be, right? It has been quenched in this cage. Like this lion has never lived in a cage before. It has no concept of that. Is there no concept of somebody tossing a T-bone steak to it and saying, like, here's your food. It hunts, which it was designed to do. You see what I'm saying? The church, in many ways, we have taken it and we have put it in a zoo. We have put it in a cage whenever we talk about the church as this building and this hour in 15 minutes every Sunday. We have taken it and we have muzzled it, we have emasculated it, and we have quenched it. So let's look at some places in Scripture where we see them talking about the church like it's meant to be in the wild, like this lion in this picture, okay? So first, before we go to any passages, if you were to look up in your Bible and find any place where it says church, and then you were to get out your Greek lexicon to look up that word, you're going to see this word right here, ecclesia, okay? By the way, this is, this is where Spanish, you get the word iglesia, ecclesia, iglesia, very similar, okay? And this word in its definition, literally has kind of two mirror meanings to it. And in the same breath, it is a people that are a called out people. It literally means to be called out. And at the same time, it also means an assembly. And so wait, which is it? Well, that's the beauty of what Christ designed the church to be. He does want us to assemble. He does want us to gather. But he also knows that to be the church is inherently a group of people who are called out from where they are to go and to be Jesus to the world. And so we see this passage in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage says, that teaching is very important. It says that baptizing is very important and crucial. It says that all of these things are important, but the object of this message is the word, go therefore and make disciples. That is the object. The other things pertain to that object. Go make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them. But the focus is on this. And, and you know, the I remember hearing in a lesson one time, I don't want to get all into the grammar terminology because I don't think I'd say it right. But this word go is less about you are here, now you need to go somewhere else. It's actually more about as you are going. So for the rest of your life, as you read this passage, think of it like this. Therefore, as you are going. So what does that mean, Drew? What's the big difference? Well, one difference is, is when you see mission work as, well, I'm the person who decided to heed the call and I left Texas and I moved to Kenya, so I listened to it because I, I went. But if you hear it as, as you are going, then that means for the rest of your life, no matter where you live, whether it's Lubbock 
whether it's Canada, whether it's, I don't know, somewhere else, as you are going in your life, make disciples. And it's less about, well, I can't make any disciples here because I've got to go somewhere. And it's more, actually, every day, every moment, as you are going, you are making disciples. But the thing I want you to hear with the first one and with the second one, both of these phrases have something to do with movement, called out, go therefore, and not about stay the same, okay? There's a motion to it. Let me keep on uh, reading uh, as we, we talk about, we're going to look at three passages in Acts, and all of them Paul is either referenced or he's talking, and I think you'll see why I'm referencing these passages. Acts 9, 1 through 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. If he found any there who belonged to the way. Acts 22.4, this is Paul speaking. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Acts 24, 13 through 14, he's speaking and he says, And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. He's on trial. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors. He's appealing to their Jewish heritage. I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. He's saying, you know, if you church history, most of early church history, Everyone believed the Christians were still Jewish because most of them were Jewish. But they believed they were just a sect of Judaism. And so that's what he's referencing here, they call, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and what is written in the prophets. And so we see here that these three, I want all of you to see the thread between all three of these, is this message of a movement. You don't call a follower of a building a follower of this one hour a week. It says the follower of a way. The word way inherently gives the message of movement, of action, of things changing and transforming, of people walking along the way. When the blind Bartimaeus, when it says that Jesus heals him, it says that and he followed him on the way. And that means two things. One, it means he followed him to Jerusalem, but it also means he began to live the way of Jesus, the movement of Jesus. I've often spoken about how our unity with other churches is something that for most of our recent heritage, our anthem has been, well, all these other churches get everything wrong. But there is, thankfully, the truth that this church, in my opinion, does unity very well. And I'm very honored to get to be a part of a church that does unity very well. But ironically, there is something that all of us are incredibly unified about. And it is the fact that we miss the point about this because all of us are unified and that we get in our buildings and we do our thing for an hour and 15 minutes or two hours or three hours, if you're crazy. No, I'm just kidding. But you, we do this. We're all very unified on how much we miss the point of what church is supposed to be. Now, I've, I've given you some scripture. Now, I want to give you some historical documents I think you'll find interesting. There's this uh, letter. Okay, I'm going to go there next. I should put a slide in between. There's a letter written by the Emperor Julian in the year 360 AD. And what's going on is this, this emperor is actually known as uh, this guy who was trying. He's noticing how much Christianity is taking over the Roman Empire. And so he's trying to bring back paganism. He's like, we've got to get paganism back. 
you know, we got to get it strong again. And so he writes this letter to this pagan priest, giving him advice on how to make paganism strong again. Because what he's noticing is that all these Christians are doing so many good deeds that it's leading all these people to Christianity. And so he's writing saying, we've got to start doing some good deeds so we can beat these Christians. Okay, Let me, let's read this letter. By the way, in the letter he calls uh, Christians impious Galileans. Uh, Non-pious, so he thinks Christians aren't worshiping or aren't holy because they're not worshiping the pagans. You know, Christians believe pagans are impious because we're not they're not worshiping God. But to someone who is a pagan, a Christian is impious. So he calls them impious Galileans. But we ought then to share our money with all people, but more generously with the good. And that's his writing. But more generously with the good and with the helpless and poor so as to suffice for their need. And I will assert, even though it be paradoxical, and me and him, we like that word, you know, we just, even though it be paradoxical to say so, that it would be a pious act to share our clothes and food, even with the wicked. For it is to the humanity in a person that we give, and not to their moral character. Hence, I think that even those who are shut up in prison have the right to the same sort of care, since this kind of philanthropy will not hinder justice. For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see our people lack aid from us. So when he is writing about these Christians, he doesn't say, man, people are flocking to Christianity because their songs are so good. They're flocking to Christianity because have you heard these preachers? Have you seen how nice these buildings are, these cathedrals? No. He's saying people are flocking to Christianity because they see that they don't just take care of each other. They take care of everyone. And if we want to get people back into paganism, we've got to step it up and start helping people like those Christians. He doesn't define, well, who are these Christians? He sees them as people that his primary thing he sees about why they're accomplishing what they're accomplishing with church growth is through the way that they are caring for people. Now, let me get you this letter. This is from, actually, scholars believe as early as 130 A.D. This is called The Letter to Diognetus. I didn't read the whole thing. It's very long, but it's excellent. Okay? We don't know who the author or the recipient is, but it's referred to as The Letter to, uh, uh, to Diognetus. But this is 130 A.D. That means this was written, like, maybe 40 years after the Gospel of John was written. Think about that. Isn't that crazy? This is a, an old document. Talking about Christians, they live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their, their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven, obedient to the laws that they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse, deference their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors, but even then they rejoice as though receiving the gift of life. They are attacked by the Jews as aliens. They are persecuted by the Greeks, yet no one can explain the reason for this hatred. Those are pretty shining words talking about these followers of the way. When this person is writing about a Christian, they don't write out. So at 9 a.m. they have Bible class, and at 10 a.m. they have worship, 
And there's like, you know, in a town of 3,500, there's about 25 churches, you know, 25 different buildings. And that's not what they wrote about. <laughs> Does this sound like people who think of church as coming and sitting for an hour a week? Now, here's the question you should all be asking. Drew, does you, do you think that means that we shouldn't be doing this right now? I'm going to use a, a, a Paul word here. By no means. He says that a lot in Romans. So, Paul, if you're saying all this about Romans, does that mean that we should? And he says, by no means. So, Drew, are you thinking that what we're doing right here is bad? Do you think what we're doing right here is hurting things? And my answer is, by no means. Hebrews 10 talks about, do not forsake getting together and assembling together. But in my opinion, Jesus envisioned this time of us being able to gather each week so that we could go out for the rest of the week and be Jesus on mission and be the church on mission in our community for the rest of the week. If, in my opinion, this hour is 100% what you see as church time, then it makes perfect sense why so many churches split and divide over how we do this hour. If your view of, well, all of church is about this hour, then it makes perfect sense. I, have, I don't blame any churches for the way that they split and the way that they get angry about how we handle this hour. But if you do the math, this hour or two hours, if you do just two hours a week as church time, that is 1.2% of your week. And in my opinion, if you treat 98.8% of your week as church time, then I have a feeling you're far less likely to split over what you do when you're gathered here for this hour because it is only 2% important. It is not 100% important. This, the analogy that I thought of is, imagine if Paul left a letter and he said, when you run, don't forget to stretch. Make sure you spend a lot of time stretching. And we just really, really care about exactly how you're supposed to stretch. Now, when Paul says stretch, does he mean like this, or is it aerobic stretching, or is it? And we spend all this time really debating about how we're supposed to stretch. And those people are going to hell because they don't stretch the way that we stretch. And then Paul going, yeah, but the stretching is for the running. Does that make sense? When we make church about this building and about this hour and 15 minutes, what we do is we make stretching the whole game. Instead of the game is, are you running in the way? Are you following the way and the movement? Drew, does this mean that you think we should never get here and never gather together? No, but we must shift our focus to what Jesus always intended for the church to be a group of people on mission as a community that are gathered and scattered, gathered weekly and scattered weekly, daily, minute by minute, gathered and scattered. So how do we correct this? How do we get back to the point? We have to remember that we have a mission. Uh, Luke, I love the way Luke phrases it, but Luke basically, you could argue that Luke and Acts shouldn't be called Luke and Acts, but they should be called the mission of Jesus's body in the flesh and the mission of Jesus's body of his, his body, the church. The one, one mission is we see what Jesus did throughout his mission and his walk in Luke. And then the point of Acts is, is the author, Luke's way of saying, but I guess the mission of, of Jesus is going to stop now that he's gone, now that he's ascended. And he's like, actually, it doesn't stop at all. The work of Jesus just continues. And frankly, it flourishes in his body here on earth. That is us. So we get his body, body in Luke, and we get his body, the church, in Acts. And he's showing us this. He's trying to show us 
how it didn't stop. The mission didn't stop. What Jesus was intending didn't stop. It carries on, even with Jesus now not in the same way, present with us through his spirit instead of through his body. And Luke 4, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 61, and he says this. He, he tells us what his mission is and now what our mission is. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me and anointed his body, us, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to make sure we open with a prayer, then two songs, and then a... Oh, wait a second. That's not in there. But the very next line from Isaiah, the very next line, if you kept reading, Jesus doesn't quote this, but he knows his audience knows this. And to provide for those who... Or wait... To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the day for the display of his splendor. Okay, so here's how I like to think of it. Our goal is not to be what we often do. And this is true of all of us, is not to be a club church. Drew, what do you mean by club church? Well, club church is where you come in each week, you rub shoulders with the right people, you keep your good status in town, you grab your pin, you put on your pin, you say the pledges, you go through the rituals, you introduce the new members who have decided to join the club, you coordinate fun functions, and if you're a really great club church, everybody in town is like, man, that's a great club, okay? Jesus did not die for club church. And I have to admit, just so you know, I probably wanted, if you had asked me at age 15, why do you want to be a minister? I'd probably tell you, I love club church. I'm really good at club church. I was someone that probably would have been a fantastic senator because of the way I could schmooze people at club church, okay? Even as a little kid. I mean, I, I used to say to my mom, like, she'd be like, why were you over there with the old ladies? And I'd be like, well, you know, they're going to give me a lot of money at Senior Sunday someday, so i got to go, <laughs> you know, cock them up, make them smile, make them, you know, I mean, that's club church. And by the way, I loved it. I was good at it. And I've been blessed in my life so many ways by club church. I don't think club church is inherently bad. There's a lot of great things that club church accomplishes. But the thing that it hurts is when it deviates you from what Jesus actually wanted the church to be. And you might wonder, like, well, Drew, how did you get saved from club church? And here's the answer. My parents saved me from club church. People in my life who were members at club church, but when I saw them in the community and with my parents at home, I knew that for my parents, being a Jesus didn't stop the second we walked out of these doors. I watched the way my parents interacted with people in our community. The way that for my dad, every waiter or waitress or gas station worker was a person. That's a way of Jesus, right? That's stuff that I got to see. And I, I saw that and I noticed from seeing people, real people, live out Christ in their lives, we see, oh, Christ is actually Lord of their life. Oh, living for this is actually more than just this hour of a week. It's actually all the time. And so our mission is to be Jesus in 2024 and beyond in Clifton, Texas, and to the end of the world. Now, I have a note here that says, read this slowly, because I talk so fast. You ready? Listen to this. Club churches are closing their doors all over the world every hour. 
they disagree on how the club is supposed to be run and their children have decided that they don't want to be a part of that club anymore. But Christ's church, the way of Jesus lived out in community, will never be stopped. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me say that again. Club churches all over the world are closing their doors every hour. But Christ's church is never going to fall. I have zero fear. People say, well, you know, aren't you worried about how the world's turning out? Yeah, it's a shame. It's never going to stop Christ's church. It sure will shut down a lot of club churches, but it will not stop this. And if for you, church is about this building and this hour, you will be heartbroken as you watch your church close. But if it is about the other 98.8% of your week and about being in a body with people all over the world, you don't have anything to fear because not even the gates of hell can stop Christ's church. If the mission is all about this building and this one hour on Sunday, then it makes perfect sense that everything is about growing more members and getting more people into here. But if the mission is about the kingdom, then we don't care where people put their butts on Sundays. We care where they put their hearts and their souls. And we will be, as Steve Clifton would say, tickled to death if they decided to put their butts in these chairs. Okay? So, I implore you, on behalf of Christ, for the sake of who he designed us to be, do not miss the point on who the church is and what our mission is. If any of you would like to learn more about what it means to be a part of the church, I'd love to talk to you about it as we stand and we sing this song.